Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema or at Trilon.org where you can get tickets for movies like the one that we're talking about today. My name is Jason Daphnis, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I'm actually the same actor as before, but I'll be portraying a slightly different character this time around. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm Harry. I portray a different character on every episode of this podcast, but you can always find me at Stocky Harry. Uh, I'm Aaron, and I've always remained true to myself. And you can find me on Twitter at RB, please. And I want to lead in by uh, announcing that this movie is, I don't know why it's considered announcing. Uh, today, we're going to be covering Black Magic 2, uh, a 1976 Hong Kong horror film that's playing at the Trilon uh, in honor, I believe, of just spooky season generally halloween season um and i think aaron such as it is you've put together a quick summary for us right indeed uh the quickest of summaries yes we're talking about black magic 2 1976 the sequel to uh 1975's black magic uh directed by ho meng hua uh the u.s title on release was revenge of the zombies um Quick plot synopsis here is that a uh, magician uh, kidnaps women for nefarious purposes and reanimates corpses as zombies to fight for him. A team of doctors uh, begin noticing abnormalities with their patients and attempt to stop the magician from causing any further harm. Um, this is a very kind of campy, uh, it's a Shaw Brothers film, Shaw Brothers production. Um, the Shaw Brothers, you know, kind of most notably known for uh, their martial arts films, uh, and there's a bit of that in here as well, but they also, you know, they they produced over a thousand films and a lot of them are in other genres. Uh, so I actually have a bit of a summary here about the Shaw Brothers uh, horror films and, and kind of the history there. Uh, I, I took a lot of this from uh, an article on easternkicks.com, uh, which is called Black Magic and Sleazy Spells, the Shaw Brothers horror films. Um, so just kind of kind of briefly... Um, the uh, 1960 uh, film Enchanting Shadow is regarded as the Shaw Brothers kind of horror debut. Um, that article specifically argues that Shaw Brothers uh, early horror films borrowed from the conventions of uh, wuxia films uh, in relation to like their drama and um, some of their martial arts sequences. Wuxia is a series of uh, generally Chinese films that uh, feature Chinese like military heroes from history, uh, generally in kind of like heroic and courageous, uh, situations often with like great feats of like strength and martial arts kind of dragon in is a, like a very famous example, right? Yes. Uh, I tried to watch that the other day and I could not find it anywhere on the internet. I think it's criterion. But, it used to be on uh, criterion collection. I don't know if it still is very frustrating. Like a lot of, uh, films, uh, such as black magic too, hard to find these days. Um, 
but prior to black magic uh, specifically and kind of prior to the mid 70s uh, the Shaw brothers horror films and kind of supernatural films were even a little more romantic uh, they had a lot of those historical Chinese elements um, and then that kind of changed with uh, a lot of American and British productions in the late 60s and early 70s once films like the Night of the Living Dead which was a 68 film uh, once that came out and other films like it The Exorcist uh, the Wicker Man that helped turn a lot of the Shaw Brothers films more toward uh, witchcraft and black magic as opposed to semi-romantic uh, ghost stories and whatnot. Um, so Ho Meng Hua, who is the director of this film, uh, is known more than most uh, Shaw-related directors for his horror films for the studio. He made more than 50 films, um, and only a small portion were the horror films, but a lot of the horror films, such as Black Magic and Black Magic 2, uh, are the ones that have kind of lived on. He also made a movie called Oily Maniac from uh, also 1976, which is uh, supposedly very, very perverted. And, is, that, uh, is that based on your life, Aaron? Uh, I, you kind of got me there, and I kind of don't have a retort. But yes, that is based I, on my life. feel like an asshole now. I wish that you would have uh, had a retort. It's a, really, it's a really good one, so I can't come back. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the one of the only other things that I'll, I'll mention here is that... Uh, a lot of these films, specifically the ones that focus on witchcraft and black magic, do contain um, some xenophobic elements. Uh, a lot of the witchcraft in the films uh, specifically come from non-Chinese uh, Asian cultures. Uh, Oily Maniac specifically involves a uh, Malaysian curse that afflicts the main character. Um, specifically thinking about this in relation to something like Mask of the Red Death, which we talked about, which has a very kind of, I don't know... Uh, racist uh scene in it where a lot of like oriental and, yeah. and kind of ethnic elements come through uh that is not just american and british productions uh a lot of these kind of shaw brothers films have similar things including black magic too, it turns out that that empire's other their indigenous cultures sort of as a rule uh yeah across the world it's pretty fucked up man um, yeah, but uh, Shaw Brothers horror output declined pretty rapidly uh, in the 80s, and uh, eventually the Shaw Brothers studio closed down and kind of got swallowed up by a, a larger system there. Um, but there were uh, a few decades of kind of very interesting, pulpy B-movies uh, that Black Magic 2 fits in with. Uh, so there we go. That is my summary of Shaw Brothers horror films. Uh, again, shout out to that article, Black Magic and Sleazy Spells, the Shaw Brothers horror films that was written by James Mudge, who I tried to look for on Twitter and could not find a Twitter for. So sorry, James. Shout outs. Shout outs. Uh, give me the link to that so we can put it in the show notes, Aaron. Uh, I would also we'll like to read it. And thank you. I'm glad actually for once for a longer summary, because that gives me a whole lot of background to understand Black Magic 2 with. Um, my take on this movie is that it was really fun. It was like an artifact of, uh, and I just did very, very cursory research, but like a fun artifact of a uh, changing world of Hong Kong cinema at the time, you know, in the 60s, uh, 60s and early 70s, it looked like one thing. Um, and I guess there was like actual rivalry between Mandarin production uh, and Cantonese production uh, in Hong Kong and the surrounding region. Uh, I, I don't know the intimates of that, but this film is... Uh, or originally in Cantonese, we watched the dub. Um, but, and that sort of led to some, some rivalry among uh, studio product or excuse me, production studios. Uh, and this is sort of built in that milieu between, you know, after Bruce Lee had exploded in the, the very early seventies with like fists of fury, et cetera. 
uh, put him on the national stage. And before Jackie Chan had really taken off in a big way in the um, early mid eighties, like this specifically, what birthed this movie was, is what makes it really interesting to me. Uh, there's totally. a style of, fil- there's a style of filmmaking, I guess that had started to incorporate more like soft erotic uh, content like this film does. And in some cases, somewhat more than soft, uh, but also a degree, greater degree of violence, just the, the increasing um, objective, uh, I guess, objectionable content you could say, uh, or like more liberal um, sort of what, what, what was allowed on screen uh, across the world, sort of it, it hit its stride over in Hong Kong. Uh, because a lot of films, including a lot of Shaw Brothers films, included a lot more of the stuff that we see in Black Magic 2, which I guess just all the different pieces and all the things that were going on around this film, I would like to learn more about as well. But the actual like formalist view of this movie, the piece of pieces of it, it is occasionally it's it's a really good pick for watching at Halloween. It's very, um, you know, goofy, fun, gory, gross, uh, but also like hideous also just completely objectionable and incredibly perverted and somewhat profane um i feel like most of the rest of y'all we watched this last night along with black magic one actually and i feel like most of y'all had generally the same vibes but i'll toss to cody for his quick take too uh yeah i think you're correct in that assertion jason at least for me um off mic jason referred to like the experience of watching black magic uh two and black magic one as a sort of fever dream which i feel like is a perfect summation of my experience of this uh anyway um like jason said we as a group opted to watch black magic one and two uh the english dubs which my understanding is um the uh the trial and will be playing black magic two uh the original cantonese version um we watched Black Magic 1 or 2 back to back last night, which was such a sensory bombardment um, that made the experience more off the wall. Then if we were to, say, watch them by ourselves during the daytime um, and just uh, adding on context that um, that Aaron uh, previously touched on, um, more so just kind of going off of what the Trilon has on their website as far as what their their theme is. They have this mini theme for basically just Chinese horror. Uh, and the the idea here is, um, you know, Hong Kong-based studios like the Shaw Brothers and Golden Harvest went the route of producing horror movies in the 60s and 70s. And what uh, kind of what, what followed was an intersection of genre dynamics that were kind of taken to their to their extremes. Um, like it feels clear to me that the, the brothers Shaw had no interest in half-assing the black magic movies. Um, from what we saw, uh, they could have been easily drawing influence from different established, uh, pillars of horror at the time. Um, things like the exorcist and kind of the earlier Dario Argento movies. I don't know if that's actually the case. That's just, um, kind of how my brain aligned with certain, uh, facets of these movies as as we went. Um, but the focus ultimately being on the parts and not so much the polish, uh, if that makes sense. Um, like in in all the ways that Mask of the Red Death uh, is at times barely a movie, um, those same things hold, do hold true for Black Magic too, as well. But instead of um, you know making detailed and well ornamented sets or prioritizing the space that uh, these people are in, the images that I took with me, you know, a, a day later, um, felt like they came from moments of the black magic movies uh and from close-ups things like the creature effects and the um the instances of body horror while mask of the red death uh kind of felt like it wanted you to keep watching so that you could see everything that it was putting forth the black magic 2 movies felt to me more uh, of a vibe like we want you to keep watching so that at the right moment um we can make you want to look away uh you know we want to hold your interest 
for just the right moment until you feel grossed out or disturbed uh, by what you see. And for how much of a sloppy mess these black mo- uh, black magic movies um, could be uh, at times, that at least was uh, an interplay that I uh, genuinely had fun with. Yeah, I had a lot of different feelings about this movie, but like, first, first of all, it was really ideal to watch them back to back with y'all. Um, I would highly recommend anybody who's interested in that watch, uh, these movies with friends and probably back to get back just to like take in the full spectacle. Um, there's sort of, and this might be just my experience being sort of, um, less experienced with this genre and maybe with Hong Kong movies in general. Um, but it's sort of one of those things where you kind of just let them wash over you. Um, I had, Jason and I had talked about how the day after watching this movie, I was damned if I could recall many of the plot elements at all of both movies. Um, And I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. I kind of enjoyed how front and center the spectacle of it is, especially like Jason said, and, and Cody, you reiterated was the way that these sit at a funny intersection of not just a couple of different genres, but also a a couple of different lost genres, I feel like, and genres that, um, that were very prominent in the seventies and eighties and have since sort of fallen on the wayside, particularly like the sub genres of like erotic horror and like weird sort of like romance drama horror, all of it with this Hong Kong action movie inflection. It's like, it's seeing, Hong Kong's take on a bunch of different things that you're only sort of aware of because they're gone, right? Like there, there's some like almost like pinku film, like levels of softcore porn in both of these movies that legitimately felt a little bit subversive in the sense that like, uh, 80s, 80s movies often did where they could just like be wilder than anything you could see in movies today. Right. Like it's like how back in, uh, in the eighties, like trading spaces with Eddie Murphy, there are just a bunch of naked women in that movie. And it's just a comedy. It's just an R rated comedy, but it's just like, that would never happen today. And I feel similarly to this where like, you know, we, we did a content warning already, but like at one point the sorcerer is sucking on a woman's bare breast and it's just an unsimulated sex act that is just happening on camera. And it's like, what the fuck? And uh, similarly, um, I just really appreciated the the audacity and sort of hilarity of of foregrounding like love triangles and relationship drama in the midst of these movies that are about dueling sorcerers that are like cutting worms and organs out of the bodies of young women and using breast milk to fight one another. But there's also like this love triangle. It's just like in terms of, of sensuality and in terms of sort of like getting what you paid for, uh, it's so clear what the Shaw brothers are doing here and they're having so much fun doing it that even the fact that as Cody noted, like the plots of this, these movies are nearly incomprehensible and like full of plot holes and deus ex machina. And like, you don't care about the characters. The characters are not well established or drawn. One of them is dressed as Bruce Lee incomprehensibly just because Bruce Lee was selling at the time. All of that makes these movies even more fun to watch, I feel like. And so, well, I would never call them like great movies, right? It was very fun to watch them. And I, I predict that if you went to see this at the trial on, it would also be fun. Um, also, we haven't seen the subs, right? So the subs might be a totally different watching experience. The dubs were pretty fun to watch in this one instance. Um, I will say, even though I'm not really a dubs fan, because I'm always into watching with the original language, um, they were just very much like, 
what you would expect. And it sounded like a Wu Tang song was going to start playing after every single line, right? Like they would say some shit about like the black magic is coming. And then like, you would think the beat was about to, to come in. So that was sort of a fun element of them as well. Just really pulpy and really gross. Um, a lot of the time and really like squirmishly fun, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think that ties in with kind of a lot of my thoughts. Um, I was kind of joking around to myself that I wonder how much of the, the, the forgetting of the plot was due to the fact that we didn't have subtitles for both these, or we had subtitles for like black magic one, but it it was like so bad that it was like off the second half of the movie. Uh, and then we did not have subtitles for black magic two. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that this one, I think this made me appreciate uh, the, good, the good job that a uh, uh, friend of the pod, John Moret, does uh, with the film programming at the Trilon. And by that, I mean that I appreciate that uh, October at the Trilon is generally um, kind of campy, uh, kind of very yeah. B-movie horror films that I can watch because I am uh, not a big horror guy. Uh, and so I, I kind of appreciate that when I'm watching these movies and Mask of the Red Death that like these are creepier, creepy-ish movies that deal with the occult and horror and the supernatural, uh, but are maybe for a big baby like me. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, this is also a movie that really seems like it would be a good movie theater movie. Uh, I mean, Harry touched oh, yeah. on it, but, you know, we watched this. Uh, was this leak? We watched it streaming over Discord very legally uh, after getting the streaming rights uh, from the distribution company. Um, that's right. And I think that was about as good of a way that you can do it in quarantine. Um, I would not really love watching this movie and, uh, black magic one just kind of by myself. I think no. this is a movie that you have to watch with other people. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we were throwing out jokes. We were kind of, we were, we were having kind of the good time that you often want to have watching this kind of a movie and it's not right. the best way to watch it. A theater is better, but this would, it's kind of the second best. Um, yeah. So I mean, like, me you know, you, th- you think about it, it. It's like, I, I watched uh, the seventh seal alone on a weekday evening and had a good experience with that. I would not have had a good experience watching black magic alone on a weekday no. evening. Right. It's just not that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it did make me bummed that I guess I wasn't in the theater in the way I, every movie does that these days, but um, I, I like the body horror aspects of it. Uh, we'll, could probably get into it a little bit, but the body horror aspects as well as some of the weird kind of uh, perversions in this film, I think are enjoyable in a way that uh, a lot of people who like these kind of movies uh, generally appreciate. I think this one is a, a little bit over the top. I mean, especially in comparison to the first one, um, yeah. which is much more toned down. This is much more sexual. Uh, this is much more violent. Um, lots of scenes of like, maggots kind of just crawling around on a human body things of that nature um and i I think also my last thought would be that that when watching a lot of shaw brothers films specifically martial arts films um they are very enjoyable but they're often hard for me to uh kind of cement in any one place or time because i'm a big dummy who does not know about uh the histories of most places that are not the united states of america uh including film history um but i think that this film being so tied to a, a lot of the occult elements and elements of witchcraft i think helps cement it in a way that a lot of the martial arts films don't like this does feel very much like a mid 70s movie in a way that's very enjoyable to me in the way that kind of mask of the red death ver- felt very much like 
a movie that came out 10 years before this. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I think overall I liked it, but uh, this is a movie that you watch with people or you watch in a theater, I think. Man, that is such a good point. That specifically the like... Mask of the Red Death is such a 60s movie. This is like the quintessential fucking 70s movie. Like right down to the fact that the soundtrack is just straight up funk music playing the whole time, which by the way, completely rules because of course it does. What happened to culture that every one of our movies is not just a fucking like funky bass soundtrack all the time. But uh, so if you're interested in like 1970s-ness, this is like extremely that, like even more than... uh, um, Enter the Dragon, arguably, which is a, another one of the most 70s movies ever made. Um, it's The other thing I wanted to touch on that Aaron said briefly was just that, like, um, it's it's really important to note the subgenre of, like, gross-out horror. Like, we said that this would be a great theater movie. That's not an accident. Like, I think that there are so many moments of this movie that were constructed specifically for big gross-out moments, and the effects look really good in some cases, and they look really bad in a good way in other cases, right? Like, at the end of Black Magic 1, there's a straight-up wizard duel where they're just, like, flinging lightning bolts and lasers at one another, and it looks so terrible, but it looks so good. Like, they just... They put a still over the screen like they they stop the image and then just burn the image and that's how they show battle damage being done to these guys which is fantastic there are all of these shots of worms writhing underneath people's flesh and they're just horrible to look at there's a lot of dissection happening in both of these movies especially like aaron said the second one um this is also a really interesting instance of sequel escalation right where like black magic 2 is so much more of everything that black magic 1 was where it like dispenses even more with the plot where the plot becomes somehow more complicated and also less important. And there's more gross out and there's more sex, particularly with breast milk, which is like the whole fetish of this film series, apparently. Um, And so like, just know what you're going into, I guess. But like specifically, I feel like the 1970s-ness is also aided by the fact that this is such a special effects movie and such a gross out movie where like the body horror and sensuality in both the erotic and horrible senses is so accentuated in these movies to the point where the, the bodily functions of these people are almost as important as their character arcs in a, in a funny, very uniquely horror sense. Yeah. I think that the, the labeling this as like a very 1970s movie is very accurate. Like to me, this is especially the, the kind of the timeline from like something like mask of the red death to this, which I, I have to imagine John Moret was thinking about that kind of a thing, right? Where like the mask of the red death is very much like a, it's not like flower power hippie, but it's like the same kind of like groovy movement. Like it's very much like a King Crimson uh, kind of movie. <laughs> and this is very Holy much shit. like Black Sabbath, like Ronnie James Dio. Yes. You know what I mean? yes. Like yes. It's, it's much more like that kind of occult witchcraft is in vogue right now, as opposed to this kind of uh, anti-Christian kind of vague, like, oh no, you know what I mean? This feels so much more like interested in the grossness and the the witchcraft of it. It's it's like goth versus emo or something. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah. Wow, goth versus emo. Why would you here you go again, pitting two bad bitches against each other. Uh the the uh, I, I was everything you're saying kind of lines up with what I was uh talking about earlier when I gave my take, which is that that style of filmmaking that incorporates that like soft erotica, so that really kind of gross out stuff uh, and, you know, just thrown in for good measure some uh kung fu was I guess or maybe is called Feng Yue. Uh, just a particular style of filmmaking that that works with those pieces. I'm curious, Aaron, 
how maybe you already sort of touched on it, but you said that the, the witchcraft elements, the like, um, you know, pagan elements and stuff that they, I think the word you used was cement. It cements this movie in a way that maybe other, that specifically martial arts films aren't, or maybe other films uh, from Hong Kong at the time that you felt aren't. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, they are, but not to me, right? Like this, this seems to be referencing a movement that I'm more familiar with just due to my proximity to, uh, you know, kind of Western horror films, uh, a lot of music. I mean, I, I grew up listening to a lot of heavy metal and whatnot um, that was not the influence on this probably, but was influenced from the same influences, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I think a lot of times martial arts films, especially again to uh, us, uh, moronic uh, Americans, uh, you know, they can seem unanchored from time and place. Uh, and that's not correct, right? Like, they very often uh, do reference uh, history. And, um, you know, I, I think one thing that, that I was thinking about was when we watched uh, the movie uh, for 36 Chambers Cinema and Rizzo was doing a commentary and he was talking about a lot of the dress that people would wear and how that was significant for, um, you know, who they were in society and whatnot. I think those references are always there. Uh, but oh, I think yeah, for a lot of Western viewers, yeah, it, it, it's easier... Um, it's easier to kind of cement it when it is referencing things that are a little bit closer to the kind of music that I grew up listening to. Right. And whatnot. That's it, not necessarily it, like, a good thing, but it feels yeah. unmoored because we don't have the, the cultural vocabulary to understand it. And we our only yeah. intro to that is through Kung Fu movies. And so Kung Fu movies become like the centralized, um, like referent for that. And therefore they, they feel like they're a, they're a language of their own or a history of their own. When in fact, it's just that we're missing everything around it. Yeah. And I, and I did grow up watching zombie movies and whatnot, which is what this is, you know, and I do think for, for 75 and 76 for both these movies, uh, these are pretty quick after zombies as like a, a general concept. I know you can trace it all the way back to Frankenstein and whatnot, but zombies as like zombie media. Um, I think this is like pretty quick uh, for, for this kind of movie to be put out for um, sure. And it seems to be referencing a lot of stuff that I'm familiar with. Mm. Another thing that I've always liked about, uh, I guess, Eastern narratives about the undead and stuff is that they always have, I guess, tr very traditionally and culturally held myths about uh, you know, the, the res resurrection of the undead and sort of the people who bring them back. And this movie like obviously does that there's a form of, and I'm sure that there's a, like, it's not called black magic. I'm sure that that's not the two words that the genre would, would, uh, would translate to, but just the concept that there is something deeper, like, I guess, you know, having grown up not watching too many horror films as a kid, but very closely understanding the concept of, you know, zombie stories and, you know, the risen dead and stuff. My only point of reference for that was like, the book of revelation where God was going to, for some reason, bring back dead people and they were going to rise out of their graves. So just knowing that that's like my frame of reference for zombie stories and then looking at how other cultures represent them in, I mean, not that this is a great representation of it, but like just the, the signifiers that they have to build off of is always an interesting, fun experience for me. It's also interesting, both what you said, Aaron, and what you said, Jason, how quickly the sort of genre tropes become established, both in like, um, in terms of, of selling points and in terms of commerciality, but also in terms of like the sort of problematic subtextual, like thematic senses, right? Where it's like, not only is this pretty quick in terms of adopting um, zombies in, in their cultural signifier, but it also utilizes the same sort of um, formal subtextual language to establish 
um, the the sort of ethic and ideology of the zombie, right? Where it's like, just like how in America, like often zombies were like like voodoo derived, and they like had implications of like uh, maybe like black Americans or maybe like uh, Native Americans, Caribbean and whatnot, yeah, uh, Caribbean Americans, right? Exactly. It's like here. Uh, there are also sort of like indigenous um, aspects to this, right? Where, and, and again, in, in a very like, sort of like maybe arguably well-meaning, but backward, very 1960s, 1970s sense. These movies are also sort of thematically subtextually about like new age medicine versus old ways and about how there needs to be a combination of the two, right? Like in Black Magic 2, there are these doctors and the doctors are very like modern science focused and they don't believe in magic. And the arc is about them learning that there needs to be, they need to have an understanding of the old ways and the old magics. There's something like very power flower power hippie movement about that but again like very 1970s inflected in that the optimism is gone right and it's more about the like the flesh and destruction and and horror than it is about like any sort of high-mindedness which is interesting so i mean that's all a very western read obviously like i don't think that this movie is is at all affected by the vietnam war probably uh the way that 1970s films in america were but i'm just saying that it's really interesting the way that there's like this um cultural cross-pollination in terms of like the the kinds of stories we're telling and what they're seeming to be about a little bit we're like okay like zombies are sort of a, a xenophobia metaphor everywhere it turns out at least everywhere with sort of a a prominent imperial culture <laughs> Right. And I think I think what you're saying about like how 70s cinema is sort of that you use the term subversion earlier, uh, which I I'm not sure how much this film actually like formally has or is doing that, but it definitely is like an element of its creation. Right. Like even in uh, Hong Kong and, you know, parts of China that produced films, the 40s and 50s were rife, apparently, and I'm no scholar, but r- apparently rife with uh, sort of that like soap opera, opera, dramatic very much like um like western cinema where it was sort of the more lurid the more uh, uh like forward looking less sentimental styles of filmmaking were you know part of an, a cultural undercurrent rather than the mainstream um and i think that looking at black magic and black magic 2 as that but for uh the mandarin and cantonese speaking worlds is that I hope it's right because it's helping me like parse a little bit of where this movie came from. It could be wrong, right? We should always say that. Like, Absolutely. We are not qualified to make this, to discuss that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Uh, we can't, we have no other viewpoint, but our own, we have no other perspective, but our own. <laughs> I do. Th- there is something very refreshing. I just kind of thought of this, but there's something very refreshing about a zombie movie where the zombies are not biological in nature. I am so just fucking yeah, sick yeah. of every single zombie narrative for the past easily ever since at least world war z right being this super realism focused look at oh, like, a like zombie resident evil right no i mean resident evil i think has more to do with can- I, yeah i do agree with you especially a lot of the uh elements of the the disease and the lab and whatnot I feel like Max Brooks really codified it, though. I mean, like, you're right that the whole, like, like, zombie as venereal, like, 
non-venereal disease, although sometimes, but uh, like a biological disease is um, is like what zombies are now, thanks to those media. And it's super nice to see the opposite, right? Yeah, maybe 28 days later, maybe even kind of started some of that beforehand. But it's, it's just, it's cool to see like a witchcraft, like evil, spooky magician zombie, as opposed to like, a disease developed in a lab that somebody let loose. Right. I, I just kind of, I'm more interested in that. Sure. Uh, and I think that's sort of scratching at what I was saying earlier about wanting to, or like being able to recognize those cultural signifiers as impetus for like, this is how the undead are risen. These are how dead people come back. This is how people become mind controlled. And it's because of a black magic, you know, the equivalent of a shaman in the woods who brings you know, who infects people and who, uh, you know, for pay takes curses out on people or, uh, you know, makes them smitten with one another for years and years. I just like, I'm sorry. And like, and like represents the old forgotten ways that are sort of scary because they're unknown and they feel like your past, but they also feel unfamiliar to you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, in Western and, you know, European world, that's, you know, a witch in a hut. That's uh Baba Yaga. That's, you know, uh, a Prospero style, like somebody who has knowledge of the magic arts and has just, you know, uh, has persevered and has carried them through generations. Um, and, you know, it's similar in, uh, I guess it's because of the similarity of that vibe that I enjoy seeing, you know, Eastern tales in the same vein, because it is like, okay, so this is their version of blank. This is, you know, seeing how a lot of these myths must have developed in parallel and what they looked like, you know, a thousand, two thousand years later. <laughs> Uh, in in a in a film where we're watching a man drink a mixture of pubic hair, uh, breast milk, and blood. Uh, yeah, it's also super funny to speaking of subversions, right? To to point out the fact that like they, I feel like know the trope of the old sorcerer and they very pointedly subverse subvert it both times in both Black Magic one and two, where in both in both times the sorcerers are cold hard capitalists right where like they're selling their services to people who want uh people killed or people to fall in love with them there's a flight spell which nobody utilizes which always kind of pissed me off that was one of the jokes we kept making but like for, the flight everybody nobody ever asks about the flight spell that would be the one i would choose the coolest spell it's the maybe coolest it's the one. cheapest too it's the greatest Probably. value easiest to easiest to make but especially in the second one which has um like longtime shaw brothers collaborator i'm probably going to butcher his stage name but i believe it's um low leah and uh he's great he he was in 36 chamber he's been in a bunch of stuff he just plays like this this sort of like sexy like well-dressed sorcerer who lives in this mansion and is just like he's selling out his services just like because that's how he makes his money and and that's true in both uh black magic one and two and these are like very like materialistic men in both cases right and they're men who want to like sleep with women and want to stay young in material senses and so they can continue to live in their big nice mansions and so that's also very funny it's sort of like uh you can feel the shaw brothers deciding on a modernist twist on the idea of the old wizened like creepy sorcerer it's like what if he's like a what if he's a capitalist (laughs) yeah there's something fun there where it's like you get the idea that in the world that the creators of this movie 
we're trying to make like there was once balance and there is like a place for black magic in the world as there was for as there is for you know light magic for for the the wizard who ends up like defeating the black magic wizard every time but that like greed or corruption has overtaken the you know dark side it's you know classic dark side light side kind of thing or at least to me i don't know if that's how everybody else yeah it's just like you can see the shaw brothers be like okay so what if there was black magic in today's hong kong it's like well it would probably be sort of like a creepy swanky dude trying to like sell magic to a housewife to make that wanted uh, a construction worker to fall in love with her right like you can totally see the idea form yeah, Lolia uh, looks very much like a Miami Vice. Like he, he's just got like a bunch of cool button ups on. My man and he, looks he good. around a cat. He does. I, one thing that I should point out that I, I don't want to call you out here, Harry, but every maybe six minutes during watching both of these movies, Harry would see somebody wearing a cool button up shirt, and he'd go like, "Damn, that's a really cool button up shirt." And I just kept thinking, like, Harry, you could just buy that button-up shirt. You just go, there are all sorts of cool button-up shirts that you could acquire. I, I will, I will, I, I, will refute, I will refute this. One, they are not uh, men's fashion uh, in 2020 is garbage. It is it belongs in the drain where it is, um, but it is in the drain. Uh, I that's all I want to say. You cannot find fits like that anywhere. That white, actually, will white guys anybody. can't pull off silk button-up. Uh, top color shirts. That I just too. you that can't too. do it. They have the they have the amazing <laughs> patterns on it. Like that is just it's not a white dude fashion statement. That is not the purview of white dudes. Yeah, it is like an interesting aspect of this film that that we've talked about the supernatural elements kind of cementing it. And we like I think maybe a sentence was said about the soundtrack, but something about the the costuming in this film along with the soundtrack, which is so I don't even know how you describe it, like very funk focused. Uh, just like very vibey. It's like, but also it, with synthesizers. Yeah, it's like a vibey, spooky synthesizer. And there is also a a audio cue that happens whenever anything spooky happens. That is like the most unique audio cue, and it's in both one and two, Black Magic one and two. And it's like every time it happened, we were like, "Fucking audio cue again." <laughs> That's the sign of a great fucking audio cue, you know? You recognize it. It comes back. Um, Cody, you said something interesting in the intro to our episode where you said that uh, during all those, like, it's a movie of moments for you, like, that it is trying to get you toward, a, at, like, right at the right moment, it's going to make you want to look away. But everything up to that point is, like, engaging enough and interesting enough and lurid enough to keep you watching. Uh, what did those moments look like? for you what what did they have in them and do you remember any specific yeah ones? yeah i think i mean like the big payoff scenes and shots for me were the ones and i maybe this will vary person person maybe it won't um like any image with like worms inside of a person like under their skin but visible was like a big and then i i, I think for if i'm remembering correctly the first black magic uh, more so just like showed creepy crawlies and then the black magic two took it one step further and there was like we, we are cutting people open we are like shoving knives into skin to like get things out of people's bodies like we would just kind of go one step That's further a, mm, always yeah. that always makes me want to heave there's a right. there's that one sequence where the good doctor or the good magician in black magic 2 has to suck worms out of a wound in that woman's back and he's literally like he's got his mouth in there and he's going like and then like like spitting them out and it was just 
awful. Like I was trying to eat something and it was like, <laughs> oh, I can't do it. So uh, the movie did that pretty well. Right. It's wild this movie how- has that kind of erotic elements in it. You know what I mean? Like just when you're seeing that kind of an erotic thing happening on screen uh, with no censorship, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Wild. We're, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Uni- I, universally seen as a sexually pleasing image. Yes, Aaron. That's that's what you were. That's what yeah. You were no. For. Yeah. We were. We're all. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all picking up what you're you're putting down. My um, least favorite I, I thing get, was the nails. Yeah, you cringed at the nails. Really rough. Am I the Thanks. only person that has like a general, uh, sh- very sharp, thin uh, knives? Not so much, but like something about like needles and uh, nails piercing skin is brutal and for some reason when when the main character is taking out the nails with like a he just has like a set of pliers there's like the most grating squeaking sound that i've it ever heard that, my that sound life. is very rough it, yep that that sound actually i found very very funny i i personally had more of a gross time and cody please remember where you were because this is probably going to be a detour for all of us but i like it where we uh they whenever worms were coming out of people's skin like out of it not just like under the surface of you know some plastic wrap or whatever they had on people's backs but like whenever it was coming out of skin that that is something that really gross is really really gets me um, like i i didn't want to watch the movie the odd life of timothy green because it's like things <laughs> protruding from a from a man, from a boy's skin oh, like that's, yeah. that's why that was the reason you didn't drill. want to watch that particular film everything else about that movie is right up my alley except that um, the thing that got to me the most, the the one time that I actually did have to physically look away from the screen and couldn't watch is when she uh, is like rapidly aging or decaying and she has to she starts pulling her fingernails off um, one by one and she ends up pulling all of the fingernails off of her like left hand, I think. Oh, um, yeah. Just terrible. Uh, like that's such a that's a really obvious like gross out that like gets to a bunch of people, but it like very, very much gets to me. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the reason why these, I mean, like, lead up and payoff, that's, I mean, a big thing in not just horror movies, but also just, like, narratives in general, right? And the things that I found keeping, that that I found were keeping me engaged were the sorts of things that you guys have been talking about, the sort of ways in which, um, like, these, the Black Magic movies play with uh, conventions and genres and what I've come to appreciate more in the last like 24 ish hours is the ambition of these movies to try out different things, you know, lean more into like mystic wizardry battles in the first one, but then lean more into Kung Fu in the second one. And like the fact that these movies came out in back to back years is astonishing. And like, as I'm trying to become more fluent in, in horror as a genre, you know, you look at, uh, you know, a, fran- a quote unquote franchise like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where, you know, the first one comes out uh, in 1974 and it takes place in like bumfuck nowheresville. And then 12 years later, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 comes out directed by same guy, Toby Hooper. And like, we've progressed to the city. There's uh, like, you know, we're integrating things like uh, the radio and you know, like things are more busy. There are, there are more people. We're not like necessarily as, uh, as isolated, but we're trying to tell, uh, the same story. And that sort of inventiveness is, I feel crucial to like horror, uh, movies, you know, whether it's a standalone or I, I mean, ideally you have like a mapping of these, you know, so you, you get, you know, 
<laughs> some franchises have way too many movies, but like the reason they're remembered, uh, you know, we can point out a Friday the 13th movie where Jason Voorhees goes to fucking outer space. And like, even if that's not something that's like gonna you know, turn you a big profit, you know, I don't really know how profitable these black magic movies are. Obviously like it's got a, like a cult following, but not a substantial following here in the States, which is really regrettable, but like you need that sort of in, like that willingness to invent and reinvent your, like your entries kind of into this genre, into your own franchise in order to survive. Uh, and so that's like, something that like black magic had. Yeah. Like, like the plot beats almost become as much an iconic part of the, the whole package as like the monster or as the sort of signature gross out moments. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know, funny. It, right. Even if you're like, you know, and even if you're not leaning into the plot beats, like lean into uh, the carnage, lean into the gore. You know, I remember the gore a lot from black magic too. Like that, like that is pretty iconic for me now, regardless of whatever story these movies were trying to tell. Um, and like they did something different between movie one and movie two. Um, and it makes me wish there were more of these to see like, you know, uh, if they can, if they can produce two like very similar, but also like wildly different movies in as many years, like what could they have done with like a longer runway? You know what I mean? Yeah. I bet a 2020 version of black magic would be a terrible because they would get a bunch of stuff wrong, but B I bet it would be just horrible. Like, like in terms of like to stomach, I bet it would be the most disgusting thing because these movies were 1970s and they were still like on the level, probably a weight class above hard to stomach than like most horror movies of the like type. I feel like there, there are some moments in this that were legitimately tough to stomach and it was like kind of impressive. Right. Yeah, I uh, tough to stomach, but also, it, again, it's hard to tell how much of this is me just divorced from any sort of context of where and when this movie came out. But I think this movie is very comedic as well. It's hard to tell how much of that is intentional. Uh, but yeah, I, I think so too. This. I was thinking about this because Cody recently uh, put. Uh, you, Cody, did you recently watch Army of Darkness and log that on Letterboxd? Uh, yeah, yes, I did. Yes, that made me think about that because that was maybe like the first horror movie that I'd really watched as a kid. And it's not even really a horror movie. It's completely a comedy. But it did make me think that it, it seems like a lot of horror films today are not able to kind of the move away from camp has kind of not helped them retain those slightly more comedic elements that I really appreciate in a film. I mean, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about with like the, the Trilons film programming. Um, but this movie is like an enjoyable watch. It is also, it, it is very funny uh, in a lot of ways that I feel like I don't see out of a lot of modern horror films. Yeah. It's more evil dead too funny than army of darkness funny, yes. because I, I feel like it's less going for big comedic moments, but I agree with you. Uh, especially like the, the movie's idea about how human relationships work and how like everybody kind of secretly wants to sleep with everybody. And that's why the wizard is, has such good business is because these men and women are constantly coming to him looking for essentially like roofies, which is again, the, the sort of like perverted, like kind of pinku aspect of this movie. But like, there's like a lot of coerced sex in these movies. So again, like kind of a, a content warning, but like it, it's handled in this like very like, like weird, like slant comedy way. Right. I mean, the, the plot of this movie essentially is that 
three doctors, well, there's, there's more people than that, but like two male doctors hear about like a wizard or a magician who has been causing these problems potentially and uh, basically decide to go like, let's get our one female friend to get put under a spell by that wizard. And then that's just the plot of the movie, right? Like it's, it's, it is like weirdly slapstick and kind of problematic in the way that the whole rest of the movie is as well. Yeah. Well, right. And then like the whole idea is that that female friend is one of the doctor's wives and she doesn't believe them. So they, they concoct this cockamamie scheme to get her to fall under his spell so that she will believe him. But then that is revealed to be just the other doctor's ploy to get her to sleep with him. Right. Because like that's what he actually wanted all along. Right. And the humor of it is that even she, I mean, humor, quote unquote, even she is like, yeah, that's a good idea. That's the only way that we can prove that he's actually a black magic doctor and that this isn't just like a medical phenomenon. Bunch of horny doctors. Why didn't she Bunch just of- use the flight spell? Why didn't she just use the flight spell? <laughs> also, all these guys are like, this lady doesn't want to have sex with me. Use the flight spell. Every lady wants to have sex with somebody who can fucking fly. Who can Every- fucking fly? You can fly. There was a very quick, easy solution here, and it was the flight spell. I, nobody ever asks about the flight spell. We don't even ever get to learn what it entailed, like what it takes. Like a plane? You got you, like you to imagine that black magic warlock has been selling these potions and curses for millennia, probably, right? He's kept young by uh, breast milk from his victims, right? He has He is still peddling the flight spell. Thousands yeah, all those spells are like expired. Like it, all those scrolls are expired like ten years you, ago. But he's like, they're just imagine, as good. They don't go bad. You imagine him like he gives somebody a menu and it's like, uh, curse to fall in love, curse to die, curse to come back from death, flight spell, curse to get a lot of money, and then everybody's just like ignoring it for two thousand years at a time. I, yeah, it's like a red imagine. banner. It's like right. these have to go clearance sale flight spell fifty percent off. <laughs> maybe the maybe the idea is that you know there there's always sort of a, a classical Greek tragic uh karmic comeuppance to making the the proverbial deal with the devil. Maybe for everybody else that feels sort of abstract. It's like, well, curse to fall in love. Like I guess maybe there'll be some fallout there, maybe she won't always love me and I'll have to deal with the loss. Curse to death spell, it's like, oh, maybe the wrong person will die, or maybe I'll I'll realize that I didn't want them to die anyway. Uh but those are kind of abstract. Whereas with the flight spell, it's like, well, <laughs> it's pretty easy to see what the karmic comeuppance of a flight spell would be. <laughs> and maybe that's what's getting people to be like no i i know what you're gonna do motherfucker like i know how you're gonna get me for this one <laughs> why, why i, do you I wonder if he's still giant wings made of wax i don't understand right. like i see what's <laughs> happening here at the end of it though after like everybody's met their horrible demise and the black magic warlock is just standing over them like you should have chosen the flight spell that's what i'm saying i i love the implications of this movie i like this um, this is good i am very thank you i i'm very ready to head into our next segment um if everybody else is uh, is similarly ready i think i'm um, ready i've just got one quick thing uh a quote from one of us uh when we were watching these as a group during one of the more uh uncomfortable scenes from black magic part two um <clears throat> the shaw brothers were fucking freakazoids and that was uh, uttered by our own harry mackin so shout outs to harry <laughs> i think that was for- when yeah. That was during one of the many uh, manual milking scenes in which the yeah. sorcerer is milking a human woman in order to get her breast milk so that he can stay young, which I believe Aaron pointed out is a process that looks like it takes about nine hours every single day. Yeah, like the man, magician, he says he has to do it every day. It's It makes... It's, 
How does that work? That's the tragedy of his situation, right? Is that he can stay young forever, but he has to spend his entire lifetime doing nothing but seeking out young women to become his milk slaves so that he can take them down into his basement and conduct this elaborate milking ritual every single day. He doesn't get to do anything else. He doesn't get to fucking play Xbox or utilize his flight spell or do any of the other things that you might do if you were an immortal sorcerer. He just has to be milking all the time. I would like to go on a nice flight, but I haven't been able to do that in years because of the milking ritual. Which is like what, why we said he must just be super into it sexually, right? Like this just got to be, be his thing. 100% yeah. his thing. Yeah. He needs um, to do it once a year, actually, to remain young. He just does it that many times just to sort of like build up a build up an extra in case he can't get to it. He just has a giant fridge system. Giant, giant, oh, just like four fridges in a row. He's just like, look, I die. So, you know, I got to do what I got to do. Do you have any idea how fast milk expires? That's uh, tough. Maybe, maybe he has the box, that, the box know. milk. Yeah, <laughs> he, has, he has the shelf stable shit. <laughs> he, he dries it out, turns it into powdered milk. Yeah, uh, you just mix it with water. It's fine. Hey, this is real gross. We should move to Cody's. Yeah, 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 we should Yikes. definitely stop doing this. ABM, everybody, always be a milkin'. Uh, we are ready then, I believe, to go to our final segment of the show, uh, led by our own Cody Narvison, which we like to call <gasps> Cody's Notes. Well, thank you for that warm intro. I was uh, making note, uh, making noty of the TTN uh, or time to noties for this episode, and uh, we came in just under uh, fifty-two minutes from the looks of it. So that's a uh, good job, everyone. Um, hello, uh, I'm Cody, uh, the movie, uh, or perhaps movies, uh, would be more appropriate that we've discussed today can be viewed as their own sort of, uh, series. Um, this is a podcast, but I'm using air quotes, um, with the first two black magic entries being released in 1975 and 1976 and, uh, going by, uh, IMDB, which is indeed gospel, the subsequent follow-up, the queen of black magic, which came out in 1981. <laughs> Um, There's another it, one of these? It seems to be very loosely, at best, uh, related to the first two entries, and it uh, does not even have a, a Wikipedia entry for the movie itself. I smell um, a boy's so watch. It's just hanging on by a thread uh, in the annals of the universe. Um, but uh, in any case, perhaps you fellows will agree that uh, this is more of a deep cut as far as horror franchises go. But I do think it's somewhat important to discuss these movies alongside other horror movie franchises that are more notable uh, in the States, for example. And admittedly, this would be easier for us to do if we had those titles fresh in our memories. So uh, for the next few minutes, <clears throat> I'd like for us to don our costumes, put out our bowls of candy, and play the spooky ooky guessing game featuring the movie podcast known as Die Love. <laughs> Whoa. Um, wow. You can do cool effects with that, Jason, if you wanted to. I don't know why I left, but um, uh, yeah, working title. Uh, the goal here uh, is pretty straightforward. It's to get us thinking about some other standout horror movie tent poles by offering a series of clues for each franchise. Uh, every once in a while, we'll use these clues to draw parallels between Black Magic and other cinematic works. Uh, within uh, it's one of its genres anyway that it's tackling uh, this will be an every man for themselves game uh, as well so when i give a clue if you know the franchise that is being referenced uh, go ahead and raise your your little hand in our zencaster group and i'll call on you you can earn three points if you guess with the use of only one clue two points for uh, correctly guessing with two clues 
and one point for guessing after the third and final clue has been issued. Uh, you'll get one guess per franchise, so if you issue a guess and get it wrong, you'll be out for the remainder of that round. Um, now, some of these franchises may not have a formal name, so just use your best judgment. Maybe give the name of the best-known entry within that series or something like that. Uh, and then we'll tally up points at the end and announce uh, a winner. How does that sound to you, fellas? I know I'm going to lose, but it sounds great. Yeah, I'm going to lose, but yeah. We're bad at this. Um, I anticipated that. Uh, we'll jump in uh, with this first horror movie franchise. I anticipated that being uh, the general attitude of you fellas going in. There. I know we're, we're <laughs> you largely... just know our general attitudes in general, I think, right? It's well, just... Also, yes. Yeah, I, I know we're largely horror movie noobs, uh, so none of these are especially deep cuts, uh, if that helps. Um, and the clues will get, uh, they'll start out maybe a little more difficult and then gradually get a little bit easier, if that helps. Uh, but they, but they, feature, they feature deep cuts. Huh? Ooh, yeah. maybe they do. We'll find out, right? Um, so I'll read each clue to completion, and if anyone has raised their hand, I'll call on them so they can submit a guess. Um, so first up, we have clue number one for franchise number one. And uh, it reads as follows. Uh, this horror movie franchise spawned nine video game spinoffs, the most recent of which came out in 2018 for the Oculus Go. Uh, and I see a hand up from Aaron Grossman. Aaron, what's your guess? I, I actually, for the, the minute you said for the Oculus Go, it was like, oh. I, Would I you like to withdraw your guess? No, I'll do it. You're gonna alien. Alien is incorrect. Uh, so Aaron, you will sit out uh, the rest of this round. I appreciate you issuing a guess though, because um, that's uh, what you got to do to to win the game. Um, we'll move on to the second clue though. As is the case with uh, Black Magic, the second installment of this series has a higher collective letterbox rating than the first installment. waiting for hands i see nothing uh, if anybody needs a reread as we go just let me know I'll, um I'll, i see I'll jason with his friday, hand up i'm gonna guess friday the 13th friday the 13th is jason's guess and it is incorrect uh, uh very uh you know worthwhile guess though um because that is indeed the name of a movie um sorry wait uh back to the first clue for a second did you say nine video games nine video games uh yes Oh, hell, we're really showing our asses here, Jason. Yeah, my ass is out. Uh, with that in mind, um, all asses aside, uh, it is just Harry we have remaining in this round here, and we got one clue left. Uh, we have the director of this series to thank for giving us the objective best character performance of all time, and that's Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. Spy- sp- oh, the director, uh, Sam Raimi. So, uh, Evil Dead? Evil Dead Trilogy. Bing, bing, what? bing, bing, bing. There were nine video games based on the Evil Dead Trilogy? Oculus uh, Go video game Evil Dead. Fuck? I had no idea that that was... I didn't know there was a single Evil Dead. I may, Wait, isn't there an yeah. Army of Dead like PS2 there's, game? There's, yeah, there's one game that I remember. Uh, but it's, it, wow. Jesus, God. For a more in-depth discussion of these games, listen to our follow-up episode of Cheat Cody's coming to RSS feeds everywhere. Uh, maybe, eventually. Def- definitely not groovy, guys. Holy shit. Um, we're moving on, though. We've, uh, we've got some chances for you guys to, uh, to, to earn your medal back. Um, first clue for the second franchise, John Saxon, who played Roper in Enter the Dragon, uh, which is a previous episode of Trilove, plays a character who appears in multiple entries of this franchise. And I see Jason had his hand up. He does not do I, anymore. Do I, have, do I have to guess because I put my hand up prematurely? Uh, you do I not. Like- uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nice game master. You what what, did, what to- did he put his hand up to say? Just hell yeah, John Saxon. I put my hand- 
I was going to guess fucking uh, Halloween. Are you going to guess or are you not going to guess? You just said it. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, that was my guess. I spent my guess. I spent my What'd guess. you say? I spent my guess. Halloween. Uh, Halloween was Jason's guess, and it is an incorrect one. So Jason is out for this oh, round. He is a Halloween. Um, uh, assuming Harry and Aaron have no guesses, I will proceed to the second clue. Uh, in total... There are nine films that are considered to be in this franchise. The most recent installment came through as a reboot attempt that was released in April 2010. Uh, and I see Aaron with his hand up. Aaron, what's your guess? Is that Friday the 13th? It is not Friday the 13th. Another one bites the crust. Munch, munch, munch. All right. Whoa. Moving on to the uh, the third and final clue uh, for this uh, for this franchise, Harry once again is the only one remaining, uh, so it all comes down to him. We briefly saw some characters uh, in Black Magic 2 having frightening dreams alluding to their doom. The franchise in question here leans even more heavily into dream horror and supernatural terror. And I see Harry with his hand up. Harry, what's your guess? You just, you just got to wait for the easy clues, guys. This is how I'm going to get you. It's Nightmare on Elm Street, right? It is indeed Nightmare on Elm Street. Got him. Our, our boy Freddy Krueger's. In judo, the most important thing is waiting for your opponent to make a mistake, Jason. I read that. Bullshit. In a, in a book uh, about judo. Um, we're moving on to the third franchise. Um, we have Harry uh, currently sitting with a commanding lead of two points. Uh, Aaron and Jason are, are sitting at donuts right now. Um, let's so see. you're saying that Aaron and Jason are tied. We are doing equally well. You're, yeah, you're tied for second, if that helps. That's one, way, that's one way to interpret the data. The The first clue for franchise number three, just like with uh, Black Magic and Black Magic 2, the first two entries in this horror franchise came out in back-to-back years. I am not going to say what those years are, but... That could be anything. Well, uh, I mean, objectively, that's not the case, but uh, assuming there are no guesses, we can move on to the second clue. The creative mind behind this franchise also oversaw the creation of a franchise that was already mentioned in this game. I'll give you a few moments. Go through the IMDb annals of your respective brains. You far, you give way too much credit to my brain or the annals therein. Yeah, that may be the case. Um, it seems like we're, we're all taking the, the patient approach. Um, not a bad idea as we move forward into the third and final clue for this franchise. I've already won. Uh, reportedly, the use of caller ID increased more than threefold after the release of this franchise's first film. And Jason was the first one to have his hand up. And if Jason is unsuccessful, the guess will go to Harry. Jason, what is your guess? Is this Scream? It is Scream. Very good. Uh, Wes Aaron, Craven. Aaron, we're going to get his ass. <laughs> Wes Craven over, uh, a, well, he created the yeah. Scream franchise, or, or he was at the head of that, and he also did uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies, too. So that's that's well. I feel like if Nick Ransbottom is listening to this episode, he's having an absolute fit. He, he died after the first question. <laughs> he, he just couldn't handle our lack of horror knowledge. After the, after the video game failure. That too, the video, <laughs> video game and horror films. He's yeah, he's not. Yeah, man, I, I got to hang up my spurs after that one. Uh, we have uh, two more franchises to go over, so it's still very much. Oh shit! Game. I thought they were only three. 
Okay. Now, in your dreams, Freddy Krugs, uh, the first clue for the fourth franchise. Similar to the first entry in the Friday the 13th series, Friday the 13th, previous episode, BT dubs, uh, the first installment of this series uh, in question utilizes voyeuristic camera movements to align our perspective with that of the killers. And I see Aaron, his his hand went way up there uh, towards the heavens. Aaron, what's your guess? Fuck it, Halloween. Let's go. Halloween, baby. Whopping three points for Aaron Grossman. Um, uh, what's and because the scores right had now? To... Wait, 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 what? Wait, what? Sorry, what are the scores right now? I'm curious. Can someone? Uh, so I'll, I'll read what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the second Pride two clues to fall Grossman to familiarize ourselves with these movies a bit better, uh, and also because I looked these up and I'm going to read them. So suck it, uh, and then I'll read off uh, the current scores. Um, so the second clue would have been uh, this franchise includes a total of eleven films with two uh, additional entries currently in production. They're filming those two Halloween sequels um, for better and for worse. Uh, and then the last clue would have been uh, the first film. <laughs> Uh, pardon this one. The first film in the Black Magic franchise is titled Black Magic and contains three syllables. The first entry in this mystery franchise also has three syllables. Oh, I've, come on. I phoned it in with this one. <laughs> um, so the scores currently, uh, we have Aaron Grossman with three, uh, Harry Mackin with two, and Jason Daphnis with one. Uh, I feel like Aaron's go- three-point answer was easier than either of my one-point answers. Grumble a little more and I'll deduct points because I'm the game master and I can do what I want, baby. Um, this last uh, franchise hey, I, here. I, 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 vote for you, I vote for you being able to do that, Cody, but only if you do your best Alan Rickman impression. <laughs> I, You know what? If the time comes, just don't test me, but... If I need to bust one out, I will. Um, hopefully I won't need to for this last one uh, because y'all are only going to be getting one clue for this franchise. Uh, and it fuck? should be the only clue you need. Hopefully that will uh, make itself uh, known here in a couple seconds. The eight entries in this series that are currently... Uh, put your hands down. That's you not fair. Mine up first. I put mine up first. I would like... I The rules of the game, I mean... He hadn't read the I question nothing, yet. This is like the Mario Party. He clue. said the first, and then I put nope. my hand up. No, nope. this Absolutely. is like a Mario Party two when you, you when you draw your gun too fast and you get no. It's not. If Jeopardy, he starts reading the clue. I do it. I would like hey, to answer. Let's keep doing. Let's keep doing this. So that Cody has to do his Alan Rickman impression. Hey, fuck you, Aaron. Fuck hey, you. This fuck is my you, question. Uh, no, but I did put it up for. I, look, I'm just saying rules of the game. I know everybody's unhappy because everybody knows what the answer is here, but. Do we? Uh, so what is what is the answer, Aaron? Oh, you gonna if you okay? Here's the thing: if you changed it up, you haven't changed it up. Can you assure me you haven't changed it up? I haven't changed it up. Uh, you put your hand up. It seems to me you know what the answer is. Is it uh, Friday so the Thirteenth? It is not oh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh man, he got destroyed. You fucking do. Uh, and I, uh, Jason, had his hand up next. Uh, Jason, what is your uh, uh, guess? There's no way he's gonna get this. Um, I do believe. Now, wait, what happened to Aaron? Did he lose all his points? Uh, uh, he just doesn't get any points for this one. He's sitting at three, uh, which leaves uh, the door open for somebody mm-hmm. else to get the last three points uh, from this franchise. Okay. Jason has a guess with the information that he has currently, which is admittedly not a lot. And, and the guess is Alien. The guess is Alien. The answer is not that. Uh, Jason, oh, you snap. are incorrect. Uh, I'm going to continue reading uh, this. Please do, this. Cody. Thank you. Yes, um, we've got uh, we've got Harry in the hot seat here. Um, the eight entries in this series that are available up to this point uh, that have been released uh, 
I oh, let me fun. back that up. The, the eight entries in this series uh, that are currently available for home video released are available through a single Blu-ray set for seventeen ninety nine. We know this because I sent a picture of it to our group chat. What franchise are we talking about, Harry? Uh, that is a great question that I know the answer to. Cody, You're look, he's looking it up. He's looking it up. Going to I am just about three seconds, Harry. Done thinking about it. I can't. Find What's your guess right now? Otherwise, you're disqualified. I don't know. Kick him out. Harry does not know that the answer is Saw, the Saw franchise. Oh, $17.99 at Target. Oh, yeah, I well, sent that fun picture to our group chat. I'm glad everybody saw it. This means Aaron did, wins with a total it. of three points. I just didn't think anybody would, I didn't think anybody would actually buy the Saw movies. I said I might, and I sent a fun picture. We will settle this off the air, Uh, but this has been the Spooky Ookie Guessing Game. A huge thanks to the podcast known as Die Love for participating. (laughs) And thank you very much for listening to... Wait, should I I exunt us? Yeah, go for it. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, the Umbrella Podcast Network, uh, of which Die Love is proud to be a part. Uh, this has been our episode about Black Magic 2 playing at the Trilon this coming weekend as part of a Hong Kong cinema, Hong Kong horror, Chinese horror extravaganza chosen by one John Moret for playing at the Trilon. Um, get your tickets at trilon.org. Whether or not you go uh, is up to you, but get your tickets there. Um, this movie is available through multiple digital channels as well. But if you do go, make sure to wear a mask, be responsible. Uh, don't be a goddamn fool. And um uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can follow the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema across all social media platforms. And you can find me, Jason Daphnis, at Nintendoofus. I'm Alan Rickman, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm the disgraced podcaster formerly known as Harry Mackin. I don't deserve Twitter followers and will not be stating my Twitter handle again, but I will have my revenge on the next episode of Die Love. I'm returning Cody's Noties uh, quiz show champion, Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Woo! Me, I have an open mind, but this, it makes no sense. Oh, yeah.